tense. Uh, once again, my name is Kenson. I have the honor of serving as one of the pastors here at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location. And as always, they send their love to you. So good to be with you guys. Once again, Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. Uh, and let me just pray as we uh, jump into God's word here. Let me just pray. Father God, uh, we just ask now that as we come before your word, um, that God, that we would hear your word, receive your word, and that God, that it would give us comfort and peace and hope. Um, that God, I have no doubt in a room this size that there's many folks here today who've just hit really hard times. Um, that as we'll talk about in a little bit, just dealing with the storms of life. Um, God, we pray that as we open up your word, that we would see you, that we would see your son, Jesus Christ, and that he would hold us through it. And friends, before I close this in prayer, would you make this prayer to our God? God, help me to surrender to you. Would you say that to him? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it's really cute when kids play hide and go seek. You know, recently a coworker posted this picture of her daughter playing the game with her here. Let me just show it to you here, okay? Now, this picture here, it is so adorable because this daughter must be convinced that I am crushing this game, that I'm invisible, I cannot be found, but the whole time she's in plain sight with her feet exposed. And there's times when I come home from work and as soon as I open the house door, my kids are running and they're hiding under the table, trying to hide from me, trying to surprise me. And the whole time they're giggling, they're peeking from under the table. They're doing such a bad job of hiding that I have to work extra hard to pretend that I don't see them. You know, it's really cute when little kids try to hide from their parents, but when believers try to play the same game with God, it's just foolishness, right? Today we're back in our sermon series in the book of Jonah, and we have a foolish man who thinks that he can hide from God. Last week, Ray started this sermon series for us, and he crushed it. If you guys were not here, you missed out. Make sure you guys go online and hear that sermon. And here's just a quick recap of what happened so far in our story here, okay? So God calls Jonah, a prophet from Israel, and he tells him to preach this message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and it was a city filled with evil people, brutal people. It had a history of violence. They did pagan worship. So when Jonah hears this. He, he's done. His heart is just filled with hatred for them. So instead of obeying God, he runs the complete opposite way. It says in, that, in verse 3 that he goes to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles, the opposite direction of where God wants him to go, that in that known world, it was the opposite end of the world. And let me just show you the map here. Then on the right-hand side, you have Nineveh, the red arrow. That's Nineveh. That's where he's supposed to go. But he goes to the other complete side here. For Jonah here, this was a one-way trip that he was retiring, that in rebellion and pride, he said, you know what, I'm going to run from God, I'm going to hide from God. Now, where we land in our passage today is that God throws a storm at Jonah and the boat that he's on, and this was a bad storm because we read here in verse 5 that these seasoned sailors start panicking, they're throwing cargo off the boat. In essence, they are killing their business because they're throwing out all their inventory. This was a desperate situation. And as we read these verses here, Jonah confesses that all this trouble that's happening is because of his unwillingness to surrender to God. You know, what we need to see here in the story of Jonah is that when God pursues us, he is relentless. 
Now, this pursuit can come in one of two ways. It can come the easy way or it can come the hard way. The easy way is this. We open the Bible, we read it, we take God at his word, and we obey it. We obey it. Or when we do sin, we're quick to confess and repent and to learn our lesson. Or God's love can come the hard way. It can come through a storm. That because of our hard hearts and how toxic and deeply rooted our sin is, God has to hurt us in order to help us. You know, for example, when you break a bone in your leg, in order for it to heal, it needs to be popped back in place first. That if you're experiencing organ failure, the doctor needs to cut you in order to fix you. That if you have cancer, chemotherapy is literally poison being injected in your body. And it's all being done to heal you. In the same way, God sends a storm so that we can begin the journey of healing. You know, what I want to do today in our verses is show you guys how to and how not to respond when we're in the storm. And here are the three points that I want to work us through here today. Let me show it to you here. The first is this, is fear in the storm. Second is surrender in the storm. And third is grace in the storm, okay? So here's the first point here. Fear in the storm. Let's start at verse 5 here. Verse 5 says this. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they hurled their cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lot and the lot fell on Jonah. Now notice here that in the midst of this destructive storm, these sailors got super religious. They became prayer warriors. That they started crying out to all their different gods. And when that wasn't working, they ran down to Jonah and said, Jonah, wake up. Call out to your God. And while Jonah was calling out to his God, they start casting lots, which is in essence rolling dice, because they're trying to figure out what was going on here. That in the storm here, it became a spiritual free-for-all. Free that there was no loyalty to any God. There's no devotion. There was no trust here. You know, for example, when Jonah finally reveals that he's the problem, he tells them to hurl him into the sea. Verse 12 says this, Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it, is, it pleased you. Now, it's very noble here that these sailors are trying to do their very best to save Jonah's life, but as the storm grew worse and worse and worse, they finally conceded to throw him off. But notice that before they do that, they negotiate with God. Hey, God, all right, all right, okay, fine, we can't, we can't roll against you here, so we'll toss him out. But remember this, this is what you wanted, okay? Don't punish us, okay? Don't put the blame on us, okay? You can't put us on this. So just to remind you, you want to see this happen. Now, the sailors here, they are teaching us a lot about what happens in the storm. That a storm has a way of exposing 
what we truly believe about God. Isn't that true? That storms have a way of revealing what our relationship is with God. And what we see here with the sailors is that the relationship that they had with God was not based on trust or love, but it was based on fear. This is why they negotiate with God, because they don't trust him. They don't trust him to do what is right and good. They don't believe that he really loves them. You know, let me ask you, what are the storms in your life revealing about your relationship with God? You know, for example, you know, are you coming to church? Are you praying? Are you opening the Bible? Not because you delight in God, but that you only come to him when you're in trouble, when you're in a jam. And when that happens, when life starts to get really hard, you begin to get super religious because you believe that, you know what, if I start acting right, God will surely fix my life. This is a way of relating to God that is rooted in fear. Because when the storm hits, God is not someone that you run to because you love him. He is someone that you run to because he is someone to use. And can I just say that it's really easy to think that, you know what, that, it's the, that in the midst of hard times and afflictions, that it's the circumstances' fault that make me weak in faith. That it's, it's all about the circumstances. It is not. No, that is not the case. The storm is not what makes you faithless. All the storm does is just expose what is already there. You know, if you want to know if this is true of you, here's a very simple test. What happens once the storm goes away? Does your passion for God remain? Do you continue to pursue with the same fervor? Are you still praying and reading the Bible? Do you keep your promises to God? God, if you make this problem go away, I'll tell everyone about you. God, if you make my kids successful, I promise our home will make you first. God, if you give me this job or you let me into this school, I promise that everything I've done will be for your glory. I will always do my quiet times every single day. God, if you let the Cubs win the World Series, I will go to church every single Sunday, right? You know, if all the people who made promises like this kept their word, the world would change. But what happens is that once the storm goes away, we conveniently forget all about God. In a fear-based relationship, when the storm hits, the priority is never God. The priority is getting out of the storm. So we negotiate with him. We get angry with him if he doesn't answer the way that we want him to. We make our relationship with him conditional. Do you know what is on the other side of that if statement? When you make that condition with God, that if statement, it's your real God. It's who you're truly living for. It's who you really love. And this is why when the storm consumes us, we're crippled with fear because these are little gods. They are little. They have no power to save us. They have no power to stand up to the storm and tell the storm to be still. They are in the boat sinking with you. Friends, what are the storms of your life exposing about what you really believe about God? What are the storms in your life showing you about how you're choosing to relate to him? Here's the second point. Surrender in this storm. Look at verse 8 here. We'll start at verse 8. Verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now what happens here is that Jonah finally gets woke, okay? Now for you guys who don't know what that means, okay, I did a little bit of research, okay? It is an urban slang that means that Jonah is aware that he's now in tune with reality, that, that he knows what's going on here. And we see this in a couple of ways. First, we see in how Jonah describes himself. That when the sailors say who you are, he says, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Jonah here reclaims the very identity that he's been running from, that he recognizes that he is not God, but he's the one who serves the God who is over everything. Secondly, in verse 10, it says that the sailors knew that Jonah was fleeing the presence of God. How did they know that? It's because Jonah told them. That Jonah wasn't hiding anymore. Instead, he was confessing and he was owning his disobedience. And finally, Jonah stops running from God, and now we see him surrendering to God. That he tells the sailors, throw me into the sea. Now, Jonah here has no idea what's going to happen here. Very likely, he believes that probably as he's thrown into the sea, he's going to die. But it's in this moment, he recognizes no more running I'm going to entrust my life to God. My life belongs to God. And it's when Jonah finally surrenders, it's in, it's in our story, God brings peace. You know, let me show you two ways in how this happens in our story. First, we see peace with God. And secondly, we see peace with others. You know, first here, surrender brings peace with God. And when it comes to having a right relationship with God, this is always the starting point for us. That we have to admit that we've been running away and we need to stop. That we need to confess our sin and rebellion. That we have to confess our lostness. And it's once we do this, we can finally receive help in the storm. You know, for example, I hate asking for directions, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I hate asking for directions. And recently, I was in Costco, okay? And did you guys know that Costco purposely does not put up any signage on its aisles to help you navigate through their store? That is just evil. That is just evil, okay? And the reason for this is that it's business. They want you to wander around. There's a reason why that $5 chicken is all the way at the back of the store. They want you to work through the store here. And there was a time I was looking for something and I could not find it. And my wife is with me and she's saying, do you know where you're going? And I'm like, yeah, of course I know where I'm going. I had no idea where I was going, okay? But it wasn't until I could admit my lostness, it wasn't until I could get past my pride, could I finally get help. In the same way, God brings the storm in our lives to reveal our need for him. This is why when you think about it, when that hard time comes into your life, when that affliction hits you, when life becomes more than you can handle, we instinctively, even for the most skeptical person, even for the greatest doubter, we can't but help just go to prayer. We can't but help just shout out to, 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 to up there, just whoever's up there, just to shout out that we cry out. 
that, that we open the Bible, that we're in the hospital room, we pull out that Bible and we just start flipping the pages. We can't help it. The storm is there to wake us up to our true spiritual condition, that we are not in control, that we are weak, that we're not a big shot. So life gets frustrating, life feels incredibly empty, and God is doing all of this to tell you, you need him. And it's when we come to him, we find help, we find peace, we find hope, because we find Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And here's the second thing. When we surrender, we bring peace back to the relationships around us. You know, Jonah here is a great reminder that sin is never private. Now, it may be a secret, but it's never private. You know, for example, you can see this play out all over the news, you know, that a recurring headline that seems to be happening over and over again is just the moral failures of Christian leaders being exposed, either to their fidelity to their spouse, financial mismanagement, abuse of authority, that these are things that have been hidden away for decades, but the secret eventually comes out. And the churches suffer, spouses suffer, families suffer, kids suffer, society and neighborhoods suffer, the credibility of our witness suffers. Our secret sins, you have to notice, our secret sins not only bring a storm to our lives, but it also brings the storm to the lives of others. Look at what the sailors say to Jonah when they find out what's going on in verse 10. They say this to him. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to Jonah, what is this that you have done? What is this that you have done? Friends, what has your sin done to others? What storm have you brought in their lives? For the sake of God's glory and for the joy of the people in our lives, we need to own our sin, we need to confess, we need to repent, and it's not until we surrender to God's holiness in the storm can we finally see healing and restoration in our relationships. Now, before I move on to our last point, some of us are currently in a storm, and it's not because of you, but it's because of someone else. There's someone that you're close to, maybe struggles with addiction issues, anger issues. Maybe there's a friend in your life who's made some very, very poor choices, and the consequences are now bleeding into your life. So you're now experiencing that storm. What are we to do when that happens? We also need to surrender. Because it's so easy in those moments to do the blame game. It's easy to get angry, to get frustrated, to get fed up, to get resentful. And instead of being helpful in the storm, we make it worse. This is why we need to surrender as well, too. Because it's when we surrender, we take our eyes off of the storm and to a God who calls us to cast our cares upon him. That it's when we surrender that the Holy Spirit can become our helper. That it's when we surrender that God can give us the strength and power to be able to stand with the broken and to show them how Christ can be our firm foundation and anchor in the storm. It's only in surrender can we be a help to those who are suffering in the storm. And here's the final point. Grace in the storm. Grace in the storm. You know, what we've learned from Jonah here is that sin always has a storm cloud that's attached to it. 
that we can't run from it, we can't hide from it. Now, the storm might not hit us right away. It might start off as cloudy skies, a drizzle here or there. But in time, if sin is not confessed, the storm will grow. It will grow, it will grow, it will grow. And this is the bad news of Jonah. When you sin, a storm will come for you. It will come for you. But here's the good news. In the middle of the storm, God gives grace. You know, in our verse, we see this in a big fish. Look at verse 17 here. Verse 17 says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, Kenson, I have a question right now, okay? Did this really happen? Did this literally happen? Or was this literally a big fish? Or was this more likely a, you know, a symbolic thing, more of a metaphor here, okay? Let me tell you where I stand with this, okay? I believe that this is a literal big fish here because it's the plainest reading of what's in the Bible here. And I've learned that it's a good rule of thumb that when you read the Bible, take it as literally as possible unless the Bible is telling you differently, unless it's telling you to use a figure of speech. It protects you from making the Bible say whatever you want it to say here, okay? So the plainest reading here seems like it's a big fish. Also, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus believed it was a big fish, okay? Matthew 12, 40 says this. Let me show it to you. He says this to religious leaders. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, okay? So if Jesus thought this was a literal, literal fish, I'm going to go with that guy, okay? I'm going to stick with him on that, okay? And finally, being swallowed by a big fish, okay, it's hard to believe, okay? It's hard to believe but it's not impossible. Have you seen the size of these sperm whales or these whale sharks? They are bigger than school buses here, okay? So being swallowed by a big fish, okay, it's crazy, but not improbable. Can I tell you what I find harder to believe? It's that God actually sends a fish to pursue Jonah. That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. That to me is a whale of a miracle. Get, get it? It's a, it's, a, it's a dad joke. Okay, all right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of that for Bridgeport. I'll, I'll not, I'll, 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 I won't share it with those guys, okay? I'll, I'll kill it there, okay? I'm trying here. I'm trying. I'm trying, okay? But do you guys see here that Jonah throws himself over the ship? He's hurled off there, and it's in this great fish we finally see God's loving grace and intent for Jonah. That when Jonah hits the water and finally puts his trust in God, God doesn't condemn him. God saves him. That it's in the heart of the storm. God shows his loving provision for, for Jonah. But here's the thing. God's grace has always been available. But it wasn't until Jonah surrendered could he finally experience it. Can I just say that in the same way, it's when we surrender to God in the storm, he pours his grace to sustain us and to grow us. This is a promise that he gives us in his word. Let me just run off a bunch of examples to you. In the storm of anxiety, God gives us a peace that transcends all understanding. Philippians 4, 7. That in the storm of crisis, God gives us rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight. That in the storm of fear, God gives us a love that drives out all fear. 1 John 4, 18. 
That in the storm of uncertainty, God gives us wisdom, James 1.5. That in the storm of discouragement, God gives us his Holy Spirit to be our comforter, John 14.26. That in the storm of inadequacy, God becomes our strength and refuge, Psalm 46.1. That in the storm of guilt, God gives us his son's righteousness so that we can stand approved and accepted before him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. That in the storm of temptation, God gives us Jesus, the great high priest who intercedes for us, Hebrews 4.14. That in the storm that comes from being on mission, Jesus promises to be with us to the very end of the age, Matthew 28.20. That in the storm of death, God gives us eternal life through Christ, John 3.16. That in the storm of defeat, God gives us victory in Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. That it's in the storm of sin, God gives us a Savior on the cross, and his name is Jesus Christ, Romans 6, 23. Do you guys see this? It's in the storm. There is grace upon grace upon grace available to us when we surrender. That it's in the story of Jonah, we see a greater Jonah. That back again in Matthew chapter 12, the religious leaders are doubting Jesus and they say, Jesus here, give us a miracle that proves to you who you say you really are. And he says to them that the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Now, let me read to you the, the whole passage here in Matthew chapter 12, these three verses here. He said this to them, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will be the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And behold, Jesus says this, something greater than Jonah is here. He is telling the religious leaders that I don't need to give you a sign. Open up your Bible, read the story of Jonah, and guess who it points to? It points to me. I'm the greater Jonah. That Jesus was the one thrown into the greatest storm. He was thrown into the storm of God's wrath because of our sin. And unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't run. He didn't hide. He surrendered himself to God's perfect plan. And for three days and three nights, Jesus laid in the heart of the earth. And on that last day, we know that Jesus comes out in victory. That the storms of sin and death are finally calmed. That Jonah here points to a greater savior, a greater surrender, a greater mission, a greater obedience, a greater profit, a greater victory. This that it's in Christ we have a greater pursuit. Amen. Now some of you today, you're just like Jonah and you've been running. That there have been parts of your life that you know that God's been asking for, and you consistently say, no, 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 no. Like my two-year-old, no, 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 no. That's all you're saying to God, that there's a sin that needs to be confessed. So no. There's a sacrifice that needs to be made. No. There's a lifestyle that needs to be changed. No. There's an unhealthy relationship that needs to be broken. No. Maybe there's a place like Nineveh that God is calling you to, no, you just keep saying no, 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 and for a long time now, you've been running from God. But every time you look back, you are no further away from God. He is still on your heels. You can't shake God. 
Do you know why? God is not giving up on you. That he is committed to seeking you, saving you, and loving you. That God brings a storm because he loves us too much to let us run. That even though we run from God, we can never outrun him. Did you guys hear that? That as hard as we can try to run from God, we will never outrun him. We will never outrun from his grace here. That when the storm came for Jonah, he must have thought that, you know what? The storm's here. They're going to throw me overboard. I am done. Do you know what the story of Jonah tells us? It's in that moment God was just getting started with him. In the same way, the storm might feel like death. It might feel like the end for us. But it's in that storm God is doing his best work in you. That it's in his storm. His grace is most sufficient. And it's when we surrender in the storm, it's when we see his grace in the storm, we can move from saying, why, God? Why is this happening? Why, God? But when we see his grace in the storm, we can begin to say, God, who do you want me to be? God, where do you want me to go? God, how do you want me to serve others by sharing this amazing story of grace in my life? Church, will you trust God in the storm? There is grace waiting for all of us. Amen. Amen. You know, to end our time, you know, I want us to pray, uh, but I want us to do it a little bit differently. I want us to pray with our hands open up like this. Now, there's a couple of times that I've had a chance to pray and worship with some of you guys. And when I have a chance to kind of look around, and I've glanced at some of you guys, when you guys pray or worship, you guys have your hands open, okay? Now, to be very clear here, I'm not being a busybody here, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm focused on praying and singing, okay? But sometimes I see you guys have your hands out. And so I decided to ask a few folks that I saw who have their hands out, why exactly do you do it? Let me just share with you what two people said. One person said that this is why they have their hands open. Praying with open hands forces us to feel open and vulnerable before God. It's a position that we as children have when we reach up for our Lord and Father. Another person said this, I pray with my hands open because it's a position of trust. When my hands are open, I'm conveying that I desire for God to be put, to put in or to take away from my hands whatever he chooses. By keeping my hands apart and open, it reminds me to rest and trust in him. Church, I want us to pray with our hands open because I want this to be a symbol of our surrender and trust to him in the storm. So let's just bow our heads. And from where you guys are sitting at, would you just have your hands open before God? And before I pray for us, I just want to give you a few moments. What is it that you need to surrender to him? What is it that you just need to have with an open hand and say, God, give or take away. It's all yours. I live for you. My life is yours. That I'm done running. I'm done hiding. But I surrender to you. I surrender to your grace. What is it that you need to say to him in this moment? And then I'll pray for us.